spoil the movie by adding your own commentary. Hello and welcome to Sideflex, a podcast where we see what's in theaters so you don't have to. My name is Christian Skillian. I'm Julia Pershing. And this is our side cast. Side project? Side something. Side lady. Yeah, our side side chick. Sideflex is our side chick. Our uh, other podcast, One Season Wonders, being the main show. But we didn't want to not have an opportunity to keep talking about movies. Because we love movies. Yeah. It's our our favorite thing. (laughs) So, while this podcast might be updated less frequently, it may be a little bit more chaotic, it may have less structure, we may swear more on it. It still means the world to us, and we're happy you're here listening to us talk about Scream 5. Yeah. Wow. Scream 5. I know. There are so many of them. I know. Uh, This was written by James Vanderbilt, um, who wrote Zodiac and the Garfield Spider-Man. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and Those Guy- are not similar movies. <laughs> no, they're not, uh, in the slightest. Um, mm. And one is like very positively thought of, and two are not, really. Um, and then it was also uh, written by Guy Busick, who worked on Ready or Not, with the directors of this film, uh, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, who are a horror-directing duo who directed Ready or Not, and a movie I've never heard of called Devil's Do. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that like it, we would be remiss to not you know, pay our dear respects to Wes Craven, original creator and director of the Scream franchise. This is the first one he did not work on as he has since passed. And honestly, I think everybody was not necessarily expecting it to be as successful as it has been without him at the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am really excited to talk about it. So Julia, let me know your initial thoughts on Scream. I really enjoyed seeing this in a theater um yeah it, it's well courtney cox and dev campbell showing up at the beginning being like thank you for seeing this in a theater i was like i feel preached to but i am here so i do agree so thank you um it okay so even though i have only ever seen scream one the first one um so i didn't recognize a lot of the characters that have been in the sequels maybe that would have made it a little bit more fun for me um it is really funny there are a lot of fantastic moments with the original cast whom i really enjoyed seeing on screen um i just felt it was a really great movie watching experience in- incredibly fun um i you're gonna see this i do recommend seeing it in a theater um mm-hmm. i i actually recommend that for like m- most horror movies this isn't a particularly scary one but like you do you don't get the uh i need to sleep with the lights on feeling when you see things in a theater i think as much mm-hmm. no it was incredibly fun it's incredibly funny i think it is actually like Having seen what I've seen of the sequels, honestly, like, it is so much more um, based on playing on the emotional connection you have to the first one than Mm -hmm. any of the others that I think that's totally okay. Um, I also had a great time. I think it was funny. I think it was sort of refreshed. Like, I was really concerned about how they were going to try to do the same story in modern day and Mm -hmm. i think that there were really interesting elements to that um what do you want to talk about first what what was something that you're like i gotta get this off my mind um i really want to talk about the opening scene because um it is obviously directly referencing the um beginning of scream which was 
kind of a big deal because people were going to see this thinking that Drew Barrymore was going to be the star of this movie. And then she is brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that whole cat and mouse game with the landline phone and her running around her house and the popcorn is burning. And it's this really great moment of like chaos. And um, it was really interesting to see the way that they kind of adapted that because, you know, Scream opens and the landline is ringing. And um, maybe some people find that unbelievable, but my parents still have a landline. My parents have a landline. It rings sometimes. Um, And the way that they adapt it um, plays on, like, the smart home elements um, and, like, just the way that technology has kind of pervaded our lives in a way that was not true in 1996. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was just, like, a really interesting commentary and also playing on very contemporary fears. Uh, totally. It's funny because people who actually work in tech, not people who are into tech, people who work in tech Mm -hmm. do not have smart technology in their home. And when I know other people who are like our age who have like an Alexa, I'm judgmental of that because... You have a live mic in your house. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that is really interesting because again, we were talking how were they going to do this when there's phones and find your friends apps, which I think was a really interesting part of it Mm -hmm. later in the movie. Um, And to come out guns blazing being like... Like not like you're not any safer now than you were then, and if anything, you're less safe because everyone is so aware of you. Mm-hmm. Was really interesting, and I agree. I think that um, that opening scene was really good, and we also get a subversion of that original trope where um, Tara does live through that experience. Yes, she pull she pulls through surgery despite getting a knife through her hand. That was and- so gross. Mm-hmm. The body horror in this was actually like. Really, because it's not very scary, mm-hmm. the body horror was some of the most like um, unsettling parts of it. And because it's, we're, because like just, you know, all of the, you know, stabbing in the original mm-hmm. scream is just sort of like fake blood shooting out. Yeah. It's a lot more visceral. It's a lot more like observed. And I thought that, that was really interesting as well. I, I agree. I really enjoyed that. We also have a uh, an interesting introduction. So you meet Tara and you kind of assume that she's going to be the main character since she lives. Mm-hmm. And we're a little bit faked out because her older sister, Sam, comes back into town after being estranged from the family. And we all of a sudden have two protagonists. Which is fun. And they're sisters. Yes. Love that element. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they do have a good dynamic. I think that they're... They are sort of in a different movie than the rest of the cast. Definitely. Very much a melodrama as opposed to a slasher, which we'll get into when we talk about, you know, further cast dynamics and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think setting it up to have two main characters is really interesting. I'm not entirely sure how well observed it was. Like, I think that there is too many people in the cast. Yeah, I agree. It's really overstuffed. Yeah. Particularly when you add in the legacy characters who I loved seeing. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Sydney Prescott is back, Gail Weathers is back, Dewey is back. Yeah. They are so fun. But it just adds on a level, like, there is an intimacy to the first scream of it being just kind of, like, this core group of friends. And, yes, they go, like, the main, um, you know, the third act happens at a party and, like, there are a lot of people there. But it's so focused on that core group of characters. And this feels way more spread out in a way that feels kind of thin, plot wise I totally agree with that I mean I think that 
I think that there are a lot of comments that this movie is making that actually reduces the effect of the movie. So, like, there are bits that are played for comedy or, like, meant to bring your attention to, like, tropes in the movie. So you have, like, every kid in this friend group is a red herring at one point. Mm -hmm. And that is interesting insofar as when you're in a whodunit situation, everybody could be a suspect. But we never actually find out why any of these people could be the killer. And in fact, it's a lot of tell not show. So like, for instance, there's this character named Wes and he's kind of the first person who you think might be like a little bit of a creep, but he's just sort of like a quiet weirdo who we don't know anything about. And then he, spoiler, dies. <laughs> he dies, even though he's the one who's like, you you can't be relying on technology and blah, blah, blah. It has the mace and mm-hmm. is seemingly the most like hip to the actual situation that's going on as opposed to his friends who are treating it like it's a video game yeah um but he's kind of punished for that yeah and I also thought it was like sort of a it obviously in the town where you know these original murders have taken place there's all of these movies about these murders that are like you know basically bio fiction Mm -hmm. about Sydney's life and then they obviously get more and more absurd as the franchise goes on and there's a lot to be said about like reboot culture and I think we're going to get there later in our discussion um but because they are built around these specific set of movies instead of is in the first scream like an idea that these all have like rules Mm -hmm. all of these kids are so quick to be like the killer's in this room and I bet it's you and it's like There is that element in the first scream. There totally is. Mm -hmm. But they all seem so quick to be like, yeah, the murderer is a teenager and probably someone we're friends with. Which, Which, I I mean, does end up being the case. But mm -hmm. I thought, like, there's also this other, like, random, like, creepy dude who is, like, introduced and you're like, oh, that's going to be really interesting. And then I don't know what ended up on the editing room floor, but, like, he has this relationship with the one of the high school girls that we don't learn anything about. And then he's killed really quickly. And we find out that his only connection is having been related to Stu. Mm-hmm. And it was like thrown in the middle, in the beginning of the movie, you think like, Oh, that might be the thing that breaks us out of this friend group. Like that might be what expands our world slightly more. And then it just doesn't. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. And I think, uh, part of, what frustrates me about that particular dynamic is that none of the friends seem to um, care about the other friends. And, you know, of course, you have to compare this most directly to the original Scream because it's really paralleling Sydney's experience. A requel, as they called it. Exactly. Um, and one of the, the nice things about the original Scream is how much, like, Tatum really cares about Sydney and wants to take care of her and, like, is concerned about her emotions and her feelings and you know even the way that Billy is like pretending to care Mm -hmm. um there's less of a focus on like wow Tara just went through this crazy thing we should all be there supporting her instead they're just sitting around talking about what the rules of the movie that they're in yeah there's it's like a lack of a heart at at the center of the movie which is funny because even like we we see like relationships like and I think that yeah the heart comes from the relationships that we are built in the other movies so like the main big thing is sort of that like like emotional pieces that like yeah Sam and Tara have been separated and like there's all of these reasons and like things that they are resentful for each other for but what we really have what's more interesting to us because we have more of the information and saw that relationship build and crumble is the stuff between Dewey and Gale mm-hmm. um and that is relying way too much on the other movies and me having the emotional connection to those other things to bring it to this one. 
it, it makes it really difficult for this requel mm-hmm. to stand on its own. Yeah. Which I think was the goal. And I think it kind of does. I like feel like we jumped in being like pretty critical mm-hmm. really quickly, but that's actually just the name of the game if you ever <laughs> listen to us talk about anything. Um, but I think it can. I think if you had never seen Scream 1, you could probably reap something from this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it would be a, a pleasurable experience to watch, especially sitting in a theater with all the other people. But like you do have to get the core references, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you don't know that Dewey was the deputy in the first movie, and then you see his life in shambles, and you don't know anything about like him getting together with Gail, it's like, it's just some old crotchety dude. And my favorite thing ever is, is it like- Is crotchety dude? No, just like the, <laughs> the, the mentor in the, you know, the craziest situation that could happen to anybody, and all of a sudden it's happened to a bunch of people, and it keeps happening. So like, there's this bit where- uh, Gail and Sydney are trying to help Sam mm-hmm. and she's like fuck you guys I'm getting out of here and they're like watch your tone new girl we've done this before so that is really good and I don't even necessarily think that you need to have seen the first scream to understand why that's interesting mm-hmm. but I do think it's play- depending too much on my emotional connection to the first movie um, what did you like think? what did you think about the comments it was making on um Sequel culture, reboot culture. I um, uh, I thought it was really interesting, actually. That was one of my favorite aspects of the movie because it's really threaded throughout most of it. Um, you know, they're talking pretty much from the beginning about the Stab movies, which is the Scream equivalent in the Scream universe. Um, and all of the ways that it's kind of like gotten out of hand and like Ghostface in the new movies has like a flamethrower and how the rules kind of keep changing. And it's a thread that kind of goes through where like, oh, well, you have to watch the movies to really understand what's going on here. And in the third act, you come to find out that like all of this insanity and murdering that's been going on is like directly related to reboot and fandom culture. Yeah. And I think the commentary that they're trying to make about the way that people feel ownership over certain properties um, in a way that can very quickly turn toxic Mm -hmm. was super interesting. Um, I really appreciated that. It is really, I think I I really appreciate that insofar as like we are um, in a point of culture right now and like a huge part of this has to do with like the Disney conglomeration and the um, popularization of fan culture. You know, it's no longer a subculture anymore where Mm -hmm. people hyper-personalize mass media and criticism on that media then becomes personal criticism, which is an insane way to think. And I think we a little bit observed this when we were doing the Teen Wolf Rewolf because there are a lot of people who take criticism as Teen Wolf as personal because they have hyper-fixated to the point where it is integral to their personhood, Mm -hmm. which is unhealthy. And I love Phantom Garbage, but like... There's a line Mm -hmm. that I think more and more people are crossing into the deep personalization of their relationships to to media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this sort of demonstrates a way that, like, people latch onto things where it's no longer about the media and it is about the fandom. At one point, I think it's Richie, Jack Quaid's character, says, how could a fandom be toxic? And it is both a direct 
criticism of the the fans of Scream who will go through and be like, oh, don't even watch two and three, like blah 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 blah, like the heart of the series, you know, like what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> and uh, very specifically calls out Star Wars fans. Yes, they mentioned that the previous uh, Stab movie was. A, a thing that all of the real fans hated and they said it was directed by Ryan Johnston who obviously directed The Last Jedi and the fan outcry from that movie was one of the most embarrassing things to actually witness from people who literally have like took it as personal offense that a thing they liked didn't do a good enough job in their eyes because it didn't cater enough to their interests or the way that they think that the Star Wars universe should be run but mm-hmm. like as somebody who loves bad things, <laughs> I don't expect Teen Wolf to always be catering to me. I don't even, even Star Trek, like, you just move on to a different series. If, There's if, always more Because if Deep Space Nine doesn't do it for you, you go and you watch Voyager or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that criticism specifically about reboot culture, about fandom culture is really interesting because a lot of the people sitting in the audience for this opening weekend movie are probably the people who need to hear that. Yeah. And I mean, this movie is doing incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're probably right. They also, I mean, Star Wars is a huge part of that criticism, but... um, (laughs) The way I would like Star Wars (laughs) if the people who liked Star Wars didn't like Star Wars. Insane. Yeah. Also, if they had let Ryan Johnson direct the third one. (laughs) Anyway... um, no, I, I they they reference Star Wars because I think that's one of the more um, culturally relevant, um, like a, a monoculture almost. So everybody kind of knows what they're talking about. Everyone can make that um, draw, but they're also talking about like the Halloween reboot, mm-hmm. which it's funny because I think that this <laughs> movie is a lot closer to the Halloween reboot than it is a sequel to Scream Four, Two, or Three. I would agree with you. Um, and I mean, the, the reaction to the Halloween reboot was like kind of mixed and um, the sequel to that came out this year. So I have no idea if the script was commenting on that in particular, but it was like reviewers saying that it felt like it was talking down to its audience um, and that it was just kind of like so poorly made as a film. Um, I, I don't know. I, I find the commentary about like, what slashers should be, what you should get out of them, how its relationship should be to its audience. Um, all something that this movie is trying to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that does come up and it also like, I think that there is now, and I think this is sort of like the a 24 phenomenon, like a cult of personality around people who really like prestige horror. And at the beginning when she's, when, uh, Tara is on the phone with uh, Ghostface. I guess we don't know which one it is. Um, It is very clear that she is like regurgitating the talking points that people use to talk about things like the Babadook, like Midsommar, like Mm -hmm. I think she mentions It Follows, which I love. But it is really questioning the value of these things because we're hearing the regurgitated version of what the Babadook is about. And yes, it is a meditation on grief, but that doesn't make like Scream 1 not a meditation on grief, which it kind of is. Yeah. I really liked that conversation. Um, I think the the draw towards like elevated horror, horror in general as a genre plays on 
like societal fears that we as a culture are experiencing. And I think things like, you know, Midsommar and Hereditary, like you can draw lines to like current cultural anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of an implication that like slashers are, because we've moved on to this elevated horror, that slashers don't have anything to offer, mm-hmm. which I think um, is kind of a really reductive way of looking at the genre mm-hmm. in general. Um, you can like both things. Yeah. Well, I think the idea is that like the idea that one is inherently more culturally valuable than the other is just like a take without any nuance. And I think that's what this is challenging more so than anything. And that's why we're having these conversations on fandom and like the way that people internalize media. Um, And it's also like horror is an evolutionary genre. And right now it's funny because like, um, elevated horror is not really how we were referring to that genre when it first started coming into play in like the mid 2010s mm-hmm. they were calling it boutique horror yeah because it was often like indie production houses making these things you know you can kind of pinpoint the ones that were coming out first um and then the idea that it is somehow more or greater than slasher f- movies which are a significant part of the way that like film has developed over the last 40 years is mm-hmm. really an interesting like criticism to make um and later, and this is probably the biggest spoiler of the movie, when you find out that Ghostface is one part Richie, Sam's boyfriend, and one part Amber, Tara's best friend, it is this, like, sort of radical... She calls herself a radicalized teen mm-hmm. by, like, two horror purists who are sitting around on the internet deciding that the only way to make another good stab movie is to make it themselves and have the story be told through the movies. Because they know better. Yeah. Or no, because it's like sort of like the, they say like, well, the only thing that's good is when it's based on truth. And that's when the first one was so good, which I think is primarily a comment on the true crime culture. Mm -hmm. It's like personal suffering for the sake of public entertainment, Mm -hmm. which is a really gross thing. I think it's also about reboot culture. It's definitely about the fucking biopic movement we're in, where nothing is being produced in Hollywood that is original concept. It's about somebody's life or it's a reboot. Yeah. But, but you know, what I find, like, super interesting about that is that oftentimes when we talk about, like, fandom culture, the the thing that upsets Star Wars fans the most, in my observation, is when the story deviates from what they're expecting and they're they're like expecting what they've already been given mm-hmm. in a way and the solution that the two ghost faces come up with is that they're going to create something new i don't know i find that really really interesting because it's not exactly the way that i view fandom mm-hmm. um it's like an evolution or a twisting of those desires to see what you want on screen yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that like the I like I think we're well what we're really suffering from right now is the blurred line between fandom and creator because of social media, because people participate, because you have, you know, whoever from whatever show posting fan art on their Instagram and stuff, all of a sudden people feel like it is far more in their control. Whereas I feel like at the advent of fandom, it was one, like slightly shameful like when people are sending around star trek zines or whatever but even in like the early internet fandom 
it was something that you could get like legally punished for mm-hmm. by writing fan fiction. And so there used to be this like hard line between fan and creator. And the melding of that has created a hysteria amongst people who automatically think they need to be served because they have this parasocial relationship with a creator who, for all intents and purposes, has no like reason to listen to you. Like it, it they are a, a person and you are a group of people. Right? I no, I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what you're getting there is the conflation between creator and fan. And so if you do not like what the creator is doing, you take matters into your own hands. Which sometimes, I guess, leads to murder. Well, it's also kind of a comment on mass shooting. Yes, which... I don't know that this movie is equipped to be making some of this commentary. Well, I think that it very clearly draws out that, like... Because they they have this bit where Amber, where she's like, I was a radicalized teen. But it's like, okay, you still killed people? Mm-hmm. And what happens these days and is when, like, you know, white teenage boys, because that's the, the group of people who, do, who commits those crimes, people will try to be like, they were a lone wolf. They were isolated. They were radical. They murdered people. They, they murdered people. One thing does not justify the other. Yeah. And the idea that there is, like, justification in these things because of how you, you know, ended up on the internet is, um, I think an interesting take. I kind of wish we knew more about the relationship between Richie and Amber. I do too. I think they call each other babe at one point, which is even like, which adds a sort of, you know, they're in a relationship. Yeah. A salacious nature to the, Mm -hmm. to the relationship we know very little about. Um, well, you know, what's interesting about, um, giving like Amber trying to justify like oh that she's radicalized is that and I don't know if they were thinking about it this way but Sam is um having these visions of Billy Loomis mm-hmm. her biological father mm-hmm. throughout the movie like she is clearly suffering from psychosis to have these hallucinations she's psychotic um and in in so doing that in giving that to Sam it implies that Billy also suffered from psychosis and you're giving him a justification for his actions beyond the revenge story that is being told in Scream 1. So it's kind of like in direct conflict to the commentary that they're making on Amber. Yeah, I also think it's a little bit indirect conflict to what they're saying about Billy in Scream 1. Mm -hmm. Like, I, because it's not like, it's interesting because sort of these visions are what ends up empowering her to really be able to survive. Um, But it does sort of like, negate like billy just being a murderer yeah and i think what they're trying to draw the 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 relationship to is like richie is the billy and amber is the stew Mm -hmm. because like the whole time you're watching scream one you're like why is why did stew do this right because he's in love with billy obviously yeah okay you know what this movie was missing (laughs) now that we're talking about it they they brought back billy where was matthew lillard where was he at the end of the movie, I was very disappointed not to have seen him. Yes. I will say. Yeah. Well, it's funny because they sort of have this bit at the beginning where uh, Ghostface is on the phone with uh, Tara and he's doing the movie trivia thing and he he asks her who the killer was and she says Billy and he was like, it was Stu. And I was like, is, 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 he, is Stu going to make a comeback somehow? Mm-hmm. After having um, a, like a 
tube TV fall on his face. We never really fr- see Stu die specifically. So. <laughs> so. I don't know. I don't know how you come back from the, I don't the TV. On the it's great. He always comes back. That's the thing. He always that's, comes back. That's true. Um, But yeah, I, I thought that it was interesting that the, that setup was basically to be like, and she lives in Stu's house. And that's how she got obsessed with like the Sydney Prescott story. You mean to tell me that nobody burned Stu's house to the ground in the past 25 years? I was also kind of pissed that nobody burned it down in this movie. There was an opportunity to burn this house down and I was mad it didn't happen. Yeah, but that would have been an even more direct parallel to the Halloween reboot. Okay. So. All right. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's move on from the, the, the commentary. I mean, we're never really moving on from the commentary, but what were the sort of like technical elements that you really appreciated? Um, so many of them, there was a a lot of attention to, to detail. And, um, one of the things that just really made me laugh was there was, um, a bit with people opening doors and then closing them and no one's behind the door, which mm-hmm. is a very common like horror movie jump scare. That specific bit went on for about like a minute like, mm-hmm. and it was all these different doors. And I really liked it at the time because while you're doing it, you're like, oh, this is so funny. It's just going to keep going. It really played into the humor of this movie, which is so funny. I laughed mm-hmm. so hard. But I did find that the over commentary on things like that being like ha 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 audience you expect someone to be behind that to play into the humor of it ended up negating anything that could have really made this movie actually scary i did not find it scary um, at all at all so i would agree i don't really find the first scream scary either Mm -hmm. but this one was like really not scary yeah I think they were trying. There's a, a moment when like certain characters are down in the basement and there's like a setup of like a black um, curtain or something with like a white towel over it. And it looks like ghost faces behind people and you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye. And it like does start to build kind of the anticipation while you're in the party scene, which is the third act. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, things are about to go down and it's little tricks like that that I found really interesting. Um, I wish that there had been better music cues yeah you know it's interesting because we saw it with our friend sam and he really liked the soundtrack and you really didn't and i didn't think about it whatsoever at all didn't notice it i thought it was totally (laughs) passable movie boring i don't know i just find that because this movie wasn't really scary they could have used music cues to their advantage and didn't take advantage of that and like who am I to say that it would have been better or worse um either way but I wish that there had been something unique about it um because like the first scream feels so singular Mm -hmm. and because this is like a requel or whatever like there I think there could have been more opportunities for it to really stand out as being unique and I think the music could have helped with that. Yeah, I also think, like, one of my original criticisms of the original Scream is that it is an anywhere type of movie. It could be anywhere. It looks like anything. It's very generic. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping with this we'd get a more defined aesthetic. No. And we still don't. We get some Teen Wolf level dark nobody's in the hospital scenes. But the it's just California, which is really just, like, a Carolina. Yeah. It, it's anywhere, anywhere town. Yeah. Um... You know what I thought was really interesting was, I don't know, did you realize that they were in Stu's house before it was revealed? I think I realized not as soon as I should have. I don't know what it was about the way that they were filming the party scene, but there were a couple of tracking shots that led you around that living room. And I was Uh like, wait a minute. 
I think it was the staircase that eventually got me. Mm-hmm. But they started filming it as if the TV room was the front of the house. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think I got turned around. And then by the time I realized, I was like, oh, it's been reversed. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking at. Um, but, like, one of the best, like, sets in the original one that, like, actually has a really defined personality is Stu's house. And then to kind of bring us back there, I was just sort of like, and again, that is the... Actually, except for Wes's kitchen, dream kitchen. Beautiful. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. His house is so pretty. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the teenagers. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) None of them really seem to like each other. None of them like each other. All of them are so basic and archetypal. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them, pretty much all of them are sort of meant to fill in the role of somebody else. But like Tatum is being split between two people and Lenny is being split between two, two people. people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's necessarily fair. I don't think it's um, fair either. I, I really enjoyed Jenny Ortega's performance as Tara. Um, I thought that Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid is... <laughs> Like, okay, boo, nepotism, ick, bad. Mm -hmm. The apple didn't fall that far from the tree. He's pretty good. (laughs) He's pretty good. And, like, because he's fulfilling the Billy Loomis role, like, Skeet Ulrich is so unbelievably handsome and charming. Yeah. So even though you're watching Scream, and for most of the movie, you're like, that guy is, that guy's not a good guy. Yeah. But you're so taken in by him because he's just, like, so magnetic. And I think Jack Quaid really has that going for him as well. And I think Mm. he's underutilized. Well, I think he's he's so much more of a, like, dope, I guess. Like, like inoffensive. Well, like, a guy who would spend his time on chat rooms about murders. Totally. Yeah. Um, Whereas, like, Billy is, like, a the neighborhood bad boy, right? Yeah. 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 And it's sort of, like, an inability to fulfill that role, like, insofar as, like, he's not... He really can't be Billy, but he has just enough of the skill to still, like, complete the mission basically mm-hmm. which i mean they don't but neither does billy so no he does not he no. does not succeed um yeah i i just thought that the the whole of the teenage cast and it i don't think it's like a failure on the part of it the needed actors. like three less people yeah I, and that's a problem with the writing there's a quote from the vulture review of this movie that was written by bill jabiri that i think really kind of nails on the head what feels so off about all of these teenage characters and he says one of the reasons why the all metatextual bloviating of the original scream worked was because williamson the original writer had a great feel for the hyper articulate ramblings of suburban teens his dialogue wasn't realistic necessarily but it created its own world Maybe why uh, so many of the young actors from the first Scream actually became stars. Craven, at his best, cleverly mixed humor and horror. He could undercut a moment with a laugh, but he also used it to make that moment scarier. The reason Ghostface is always kind of a klutz in these movies is because it makes it all the more terrifying and tragic when the killer inevitably succeeds. But these new characters don't really come to life in a meaningful way, and if they can't come to life, their deaths or near deaths become uninteresting. Yeah. I don't care about any of these people. I felt bad about Wes because he was the first person where you're like, oh, there might be something here. And then he dies immediately. Immediately. Um, In the first like 20 minutes. Which is frustrating, especially because I think that he, they should have played the long game with him being a red herring. Yeah. He, I mean, they didn't play the long game with pretty much anybody. They killed that other guy immediately. They killed whatever. And I don't want to know exactly who the killer was. In my notes, I was like, well, there's going to be two. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to know 
who both of them were. But I wanted to have an inkling. I wanted to have an eye on everybody. And by the end, you're just sort of like, yeah, it's probably Richie. And I thought that Amber's behavior was really weird the whole movie. From the start. Was actually like pretty homoerotic as well, which is interesting because I think that that is sort of in reference to the relationship between Stu and Billy, mm-hmm. where like Amber is obsessed with Tara and won't let her sister buy her. And like she has keeps her inhaler. And part of that is because of this grand plan. Mm-hmm. But, but it like, does seem like Amber's got a little crush. Yeah. No, it seems like psychosexual. It's very mm-hmm. intense. Yeah. But because you're already like pinning it on those two people, I was just sort of like, I want to be more shocked. I want to be more shocked. I want to be more invested in these yeah, teenagers. Yeah, and I kind of wasn't. I kind of wasn't. And they, like uh, two of them end up living at the end. Mm-hmm. The twins end up living at the end, which one very unrealistic um but i it's a slasher movie you're not supposed to survive Mm -hmm. first of all it's like a conceit of the genre but like i wasn't worried about them really no and i want i that's part of where the anxiety of like of a horror movie comes from is that you're worried about what happens to certain characters yeah well it's funny because in the first one you have four main people who live it's sydney gail dewey and lenny Mm-hmm. And then in this, you have like six people who live, and you already knew that Sydney and Gail were going to live, and then you keep adding on all these. You knew that Tara and Sam and Sam are both going to live, and then you add on more people, and, and you're like, oh, okay, actually, not enough people died at the end to justify Dewey dying in the middle. That felt really like a an emotional beat that they should have saved for the end. I totally agree because it doesn't even really feel like it compelled Gail in any way to con- to do something that she wouldn't have done normally because she was always going to go she was always going to team up with Sydney to go kick ass right yeah um so i thought that was a little bit wasted but uh, back on the technical element that quote sort of blames the directing definitely on the like on the sort of ineffectiveness of the teenagers partially that's also the writing but i it does feel like everyone is kind of in a different movie Jack mm-hmm. Quaid is in a different movie from, like, pretty much anyone. Yeah. And... Which is good because it sort of sets up the sort of uncanniness. But, like, Tara and Sam's whole thing is, like, this melodramatic crying at each other type of thing that we don't get from, like, Sydney and Tatum or Gail in the first movie. Not at all. No. So- One, Sydney is already so damaged. But so are, are Tara and and sam so it's sort of like where is that coming from well part of the the thing about sydney is that it's like a year out from her mom's murder and Mm -hmm. so like yes it's it's horrible to be having that happen at the the anniversary but she's had a year to kind of process that and you can see that in like the way that she's so hardened and like isn't wallowing yeah really and there she's not reaching out to other people for like this like emotional fulfillment of like come be with me in my grief she's just Mm. trying to like live her life yeah versus you're so many like reunions are happening in this movie the reunion between sam and tara which we don't really know anything about so Mm -hmm. it's not meaningful yeah in the same way that it is to see sydney and gail yeah like together just uh, and if i were directing those scenes if i read that script i would i there would be so much like harshness between these two people for mm-hmm. all of these reasons, they would not spend five scenes crying quietly at each other. It felt so out of place. It's a choice I never would have made. I would not have encouraged other actors to make that choice. Um, 
like it just felt like there was something not quite understanding the universe of Scream in those scenes. Yeah, I think it took away from the sense of like urgency that you're supposed to feel, mm-hmm. the sense of anxiety, because my as like as an older sister my concern in that moment would not be apologizing to my sibling we can do that later yeah there's a killer on the loose yeah and yeah I think it totally slowed down mm -hmm. the movie and it's like ha 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 like you're always yelling at people in horror movies to do the right thing but like run run I'm not even telling you to leave town I'm telling you to save that shit because it's was honestly pretty not interesting I agree yeah and because, like, the sort of plan all along was to have Richie blame Sam for all the murders, being like, Billy's, d- you know... Crazy daughter. Crazy daughter came back and killed everybody. Uh, and it wasn't really about their family trauma after all. It was like, uh, so where did where did that come from? It, where did it go? It wasn't even really about Sam's trauma. No. Which... It should have been because that was what was interesting. That is what was interesting. And I don't know how um, that would have been handled because I think throwing in like spicy mental health into a slasher film is always just kind of like, but whatever it was that she was going through was so much more interesting than what they were focusing on. Mm -hmm. I really, I thought that the use of Skeet Ulrich in this movie was really well done. I I thought it was a little cheap. (laughs) But I, but that's kind of like the conceit, yeah. though, right? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the gag. Yeah. That's the gag. Um, and I really liked seeing him. And I don't, I donn't necessarily think we needed to see him more. But like, Sam is so tortured, mm-hmm. and like we don't really get into that at all. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so often reboots in their attempt to make it the same but different end up focusing on the wrong thing Mm -hmm. and like I said earlier a lot of the things that would have made this a more cohesive film were actually used as points of criticism or commentary because obviously the whole idea of Scream is that it's endlessly commenting on the genre and itself and whatever but then it ends up sort of dissolving that so like I was interested in Sam's damage Mm -hmm. totally but then by the end, you're like, oh, yeah, people get radicalized on message boards and that's how whatever, which is a little bit like video games cause people to be violent. I, it is all of these really <laughs> interesting ideas that just kind of got like peppered into the movie without making kind of a decision on what your movie was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Like the original Scream, yes, is about grief. It's about Sydney's grief, but it's mostly just about like what what is it like to be a teenager in 1996 to have all of this canon behind you to know how to behave in a slasher movie and how are you still gonna fail yeah I think that's so interesting but then you keep trying to do it yeah okay I will say like the first one is like the perfect perfect deconstruction of the genre Mm -hmm. this one is trying to deconstruct so much that you lose the movie within Mm -hmm. um yeah you mentioned something about the lighting earlier that I thought interesting. Earlier in our previous discussion, not in this one. <laughs> oh, um, I really liked that there were two murders that took place in broad daylight. Yes. Um, because, you know, one of the, like, tropes of the slasher genre and of Scream is that, like, the suburbs are, like, completely apathetic and you could just murder someone on their doorstep, mm-hmm. like, in the sunshine. So I, I like that. Um, I don't know. I, I really often... Um, when you notice the lighting, um, it's because it's bad. 
Yeah. And I just thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty good. I loved the floodlights in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you are like, where the fuck is everybody? Getting stabbed in a hospital should be the safest place to get stabbed. Where are they? A private floor in this economy? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Um, but yeah, I, I think the daylight murders were really good as well. And I think as far as like apathy, like suburban apathy goes, it also like somebody dying on their front doorstep and the police not getting there in time feels very like American individualism centric, like totally. sort of like sink or swim. Sorry. You, sorry. You couldn't beat Ghostface. Should have been faster. The sheriff couldn't yeah. beat Ghostface. Although that, that was the one fake out I really liked. What? That she... that she was being called to go save Wes and then Ghostface pop comes out and stabs her. She's running to the front door. I really liked that I too. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of elements of this that take place in the daylight. And there's a lot of elements of the, in the first one that take place in the daylight, but most of the murders take place at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have so much be, have so much evil in the light of day and have people still use it for entertainment like suggests a very like um what's the word it's sort of like a sociopath like a cultural sociopathy yeah well and that i mean i think is a great thing to pull from the original scream because obviously gail weathers has like grown and evolved as a person but she's an antagonist in that movie. she's like an ambulance chaser yeah yeah and i like that because that hasn't really gone away. No. And in fact, has even gotten worse with the advent of, of like, true crime. The true crime oh industrial complex. Oh my God, I fucking complex. hate true crime. It is the worst. Yeah. Um, and they were even commenting on that in the original movie, which, like, I don't think it was that big of a deal it's, then. It's interesting. After we saw, after we watched last night, our friend Sam said something where he was like, true crime is, like, captivating but people need to start understanding that they can soothe their morbid curiosity through fiction and Mm -hmm. not sensationalize the tragedy of others and this is a movie that like literally that's the whole point is that this is about Sydney Prescott's life and because the movies about her life weren't to the you know entertainment value of Richie's like standards Mm -hmm. he would create a new tragedy for the sake of the story I think it's like weirdly commenting on real person fan fiction. RPF, RPF. yeah. <laughs> because he just, the, the idea of RPF, first of all, it's disgusting. Hate it's it. so fucking weird. Hate it. But the idea that you have ownership over real people, not even just a media property, but that yeah. you have ownership over living, breathing human beings mm-hmm. um, is crazy. But a huge phenomenon. Yeah. I think um, at the end of the day, what Scream 5 is telling us is to go outside and touch some grass. Touch some fucking grass. Touch some grass. All right, Julia, what are your final thoughts on Scream 5? I am really glad that I got to go see a fun horror movie in the theaters. I think upon further scrutiny, it kind of falls apart a little bit, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a lot of things to praise about it. Yeah. And I think... Especially in comparison to a lot of the requels that are um, floating around in the universe nowadays. I think this one does a pretty good job. Yeah, I think the main comparison I've seen is people talking about how self-aware the new Matrix movie is. It goes out and like even criticizes, I think it's Warner Brothers, that says them specifically, mm-hmm. talks about how there's no original content. A lot of it is about, like, though it's about Neo having been a video game designer and people demanding that there be a new version of the Matrix video game he designed. And this mm. is like, it's all reflective of that. And now that people are have the creative agency to start criticizing that, I really hope we start moving away from reboot culture. 
because God, they suck like in general just make something I have new. never heard an announcement for a reboot that made me think like yeah I want to watch that like not at all and I think that I am appreciative of the criticism I love that it was done in such a fun way I think that this is drawing all kinds of not even necessarily drawing conclusions but asking you to really question your relationship to media to the genre to other people and literally how we empathize with them and I think that it was really successful in that way so the things that scream is asking me to do really succeeds the things that I'm asking it to do maybe not so maybe much. not so much <laughs> uh Julia what would if you had to give this a letter grade mm-hmm. what letter grade I w- I'm waffling okay between a b plus and an a minus pretty much yep yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I think the experience that we had getting to go see it like I love popcorn and you know. I love the movie I what love is it what is it about uh, a movie theater popcorn that makes movie theater diet coke taste that good salt yeah it's just the salt it's just the salt no I mean like the experience of going to go do it is the preferred way of seeing this if you are vaccinated and comfortable sitting in a movie theater that is how I think you should see it I think you're gonna have the a minus experience if you do that and if you wait for it to stream you'll get the b plus experience right right I think that about wraps it up. If you guys liked this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter uh, side f- at SideFlixPod. You can follow our main podcast, One Season Wonders, which is about shows that only got one season. You can follow us on Twitter at OSW underscore pod. If you like MTV's Teen Wolf, you can go back and listen to that one. It's on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You can follow that Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf. Oh my God, we have so many plugs. If you want to buy our movie tickets to the next thing we go see, you can buy us a coffee at coffee.com forward slash Gillian Pershing Productions. Yes. From any of those places, you can follow our personal Twitters. You can keep up with us. Uh, let us know what movie you want us to see in theaters next. We will go. No questions asked. And other than that, I've been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a great week. 